In the scripture reading that we had, we saw over and over again the proclamation that is made by God Himself about Himself. That I am God and there is none beside me. There is no other God. And this God that we have, no other appeals to be made at any other point to any other being, He is our God. There's not anything that we can say about Him other than exactly what He says about Himself as He swore by Himself as it says there in Isaiah the 45th chapter. He is the omni-God. Omni meaning all. I want to look at this God that you and I deal with and deal and he with dealing with us this morning. And I think back to the way that he identifies himself to us, the, the terms that are used when you go to the 44th chapter of Isaiah verse 6, you see that first of all that he presents himself as king to us, but also he presents to himself to us as Lord of a host or Lord of armies. He presents himself to us as judge. He presents himself to us as, in a sense, destroyer. And all of that rightly so. But I want to look at the omni-God that we deal with and how He has dealt with people down through the generations of man. And I, I want you to consider, and of course we, we, I know we all understand this when we use the term omni, we're going to put it with some other thoughts that are there that we usually call the attributes of God and rightfully so they are. And as one man said in a discussion I was having with, he says, I don't know the, all, all the attributes of God. And I said, I don't either. Just those that are revealed to us. And I want to look at those attributes that we know exist concerning God. And I want to tie those attributes into the way that He has used them in connection with some and how He uses them for you individually for you. We understand that this God that we deal with, that He is the omni-God, and that He is omnipresent. And we understand that. Meaning that He is all everywhere. And when we think about His omnipresence, think back to the all-encompassing presence that he had in his dealings with men in the past. You go back to Genesis 11th chapter, beginning in verse 7, there you read concerning the Tower of Babel. And how men came together and had lost their humility and had gained so much pride thinking that they could build a tower all the way to heaven and that they had such knowledge and understanding that they could do something that was superhuman, so to speak. And yet God was there. And we see in Genesis 11, chapter, verse 7, His, His all-presence was there. 
Because it says, let us go down now and confuse or confound their speech. We see whenever God determined because of the atrocities of defilement that was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah that He would destroy those cities of the plains because of the great evil that was being done. And we remember the discussion that took place between God and between Abraham and Abraham say, would you destroy the city if there were 100, 50, 25, if you would find righteous souls, would you destroy the whole city along with the righteous souls? And God assured Abraham, if there are those righteous souls that are there, I will not destroy the city. His presence was there so that he could understand that. So that he could understand that. And rightfully so, whenever you look at the presence of God, that omnipresence being all present everywhere in the knowledge of, uh, of what each and every one of us are about, uh, of who we are, we understand from a justice standpoint how God dealt with those and dealt with those that were involved in sin, and rightfully so. In Romans, the third chapter, in verse 10, there's none righteous. No, not one. And from a right standpoint, he used his presence to determine judgment against those that were defiling his will, defiling his word. When God became flesh, he used his omnipresence at that time and showed those attributes. Remember whenever he was choosing his apostles in John the first chapter and verse 48, he had already spoken to Philip and Philip went after Nathaniel to tell him the Messiah is come. We have found him. It is Jesus of Nazareth. And, Phil, and Nathaniel said, could any good thing come out of Nazareth? And then he comes face to face with the Messiah, with the God of heaven. And Jesus says to him, a Jew in whom is no God. And he says, sir, how do you know me? And he says, before you came, I saw you under the fig tree. He was ever present, all present, everywhere. And not only with that statement, identifying God on earth with His everywhere presence, but also with the identification of who He is. When we look at John the 8th chapter in verse 24, Jesus Himself said, You shall die in your sins, for except you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. He presents Himself and then amplifies that thought in verses 56 through 58 of John the 8th chapter when he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad to see it. And the Jews said, you're not yet 50 years old and you've already seen Abraham. And Jesus then in verse 58 he says, before Abraham was, I am. The all-existent one is also the all-present one. And really deals in that particular aspect. And rightly so, that God dealt with those that were sinners and separate apart from Him as being all present and knowing exactly what they were doing. Even the hairs of our head are known because of the presence of God to where even we are completely known and understood by the God of heaven. 
And he could have used his omnipresence for nothing more than for destruction. And again, rightfully so. Romans 3, verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. But God used, God used that omnipresence in a different way. And He is ever present with us not in an outward manifestation, but rather through the Word present because the God of heaven went through exactly the same thing that we go through because His presence was here upon the earth for a period of time. He was God manifested in the flesh. He was tempted at all points as we are. He understood the weakness of the flesh. And he understood exactly what is presented to us when we look over in Romans, the 10th chapter, verses 5 through 11. Moses writes about righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live in them. But this righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Paul is going back to a Hebrewism that was used, and it was used in the Old Testament also. And it was an excuse that was made by the Jews in using this Hebrewism that was saying, who could possibly do the will of God? It would take some supernatural act that is beyond the capabilities of man in order to do the Lord's will. And Paul says, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say, I would have to go up to heaven and bring Christ down the earth in order to be able to do what the Lord would have me to do. Don't say, I would have to go down into the abyss and bring Christ up from the dead once again in order to be pleasing unto God. It would take some supernatural act. He says, don't say that. But what does it say? Verse 8. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that the Lord, that, the, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. I would suggest to you that this omni-God is such a God of love that He used His omnipresence not to destroy, but rather to draw us near to Him and He to us by the Word of God that He gave. And that through Christ Jesus. That powerful, all-present God could with just a thought or with a word destroy ultimately everyone on the face of this earth and all things in connection with this plane of existence. But rather he used this attribute of omnipresence for our salvation. What a blessed God we have. God is also, of course, as we understand... He is also omniscient. 
In other words, he knows all things. And you think about the way that, that he used that in times past in his dealing with men. And you go back to Genesis, the sixth chapter. And you see there that God saw that man was continually involved in thinking about and acting in evil constantly upon this earth. And even made determination from that point that 120 years from that point in verse 3, He would put to death all those on the face of the earth. And God, knowing beforehand, knowing all things, was able to set that period of time, that 120 years, that flesh would live, but yet then would come to an end. And He used that omniscience in connection with it. In 1 Kings, the ninth chapter, after the building of the temple, you have a blessing that is given by God to Solomon if you will keep my law, if you will do my works, if you will not defy yourself, you and the people, I will establish your kingdom and there will never be a man that will fail from the throne that is of your heritage, of your lineage. But also we see the curse. But if you reject me, then this place will be completely torn down and people will walk by and they will hiss And they will say, why has the God of heaven done such a thing to this place that was built for him? Because they have forgotten their God. And God gave through his omniscience the pronouncement of judgment upon Israel. Which culminated with exactly what Jesus was speaking of in Matthew the 24th chapter. And he's speaking to that which was going to take place in the future and that was the destruction of Jerusalem that came about because of the rejection that Israel had toward God and all that the one God stood for. They were continually in opposition to Him, whether it be through idolatry or through their own traditions. And in God's omniscience, this all-knowing, God was able to make pronouncement for destruction of those that would not keep His will. And even when God came to earth and was manifest here upon this earth, we see His display of this omniscience while He was here. When we look in Matthew 9 and verse 4, in the 12th chapter and verse 25, and also in Luke 11 and verse 17, we see these words, Jesus and Jesus knowing their thoughts. Jesus knowing their thoughts. And in connection with all these accounts where Jesus knew their thoughts, there was really never a good outcome in the context of those three occasions where that is mentioned, but always in connection with that which needed to be corrected because sin was involved. And God could continually have just dealt with man in that way where there would be destruction, where there would be death, where there would be that negative aspect that come from him, and he would rightfully use his attribute of omniscience in connection with that. When we look over, once again in Romans the third chapter, we go down to verse 12. They have all gone out of the way. They've all turned their backs on the Lord. Rightfully so. From the standpoint of justice. But we also see that this God that we deal with used this attribute of His once again for our salvation in connection with the Word. 
Look over in Titus, the second chapter, verses 11 through 13. Titus 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the glory of God, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In His omniscience, He knew what it is that we needed to not be destroyed, but rather to have salvation. In Acts 1st chapter and verse 24, in Acts 15th chapter and verse 8, really the same statement is made there. God who knows the hearts of all. God who knows the hearts of all. It's interesting how that Greek comes about. Whenever you look at that, God knows the hearts of all. He is the heart knower. That's the meaning of knows the hearts of all. He's the heart knower because he is omniscient. And even when the Lord came, God came to earth. And we look at what it says about his ability to know. And we look over in Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verse 12. He knows to the very essence of our actual being, our thoughts and intents, a divider of joint and marrow discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. And His Word, as described here in Titus, the second chapter, verse 11 through 13, is a resemblance of the one that gave it. Because it teaches, by God's omniscience, His all-knowing exactly what it is that we need. And so the grace of God has appeared teaching us, training us, verse 12 there in Titus, the second chapter, to renounce ungodliness, to renounce those things that he knew we needed to get rid of in our lives in order to become his children. God used his omniscience not for our destruction, but rather for our salvation. But also God used his omnipotence and he, we see how he used that in connection with men of old. And we go back and we think about his limitless power, and this is the description of omnipotence or omnipotence. It describes his all-powerful, limitless power. And we think about how it was used. When we go back in Numbers, the 16th chapter, that awesome power was used against the mouths of the defiant. There you have Korah and those that agreed with him that came forth refuting the leadership that God had put in place being Moses and Aaron and making accusation against them for being leaders where it was God that put them in place. And God used that omnipotence to make answer to man at that time of his own authority. And they gathered the next day and the Lord opened the ground from under their feet and the earth swallowed them up and he closed the ground on top of them once again. The defiant mouths were hushed. 
We see it years later also about individual, one individual in Acts 12 chapter by the name of Herod who gave an oratory where the people at, I believe, his behest were making the statement, this is not the voice of a man, but this is the voice of God that speaks. And immediately he was eaten with worms and died. God shut the mouth of the defiant on that day. But God didn't only just deal with individuals as we've seen in, in Numbers 16 chapter and also in Acts 12 chapter. But you go back to Daniel. And we see that by his omnipotence of what had been prophesied of by Daniel in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, God through his omnipotence was going to manipulate even nations so that his will would be done. The awesome power of God to do that is certainly beyond the capability of man. And when we think about this omnipotence, even when God came to this earth, He still displayed that omnipotence. Think about it. He stilled the storm in Mark the 4th chapter and verse 39. He restored the wither hand in Matthew the 12th chapter and verse 10. He made whole one that was lame in John the 5th chapter. He gave sight to one that had been born blind in John the 9th chapter. And yea, He even overcame death. And not just once, but on several occasions. But the last one being with Lazarus in John the 11th chapter. And you have that display that was made by Jesus. God of heaven, while He was here upon this earth, of that omnipotence, this all-powerful, this limitless power, that was inherently is because He is God. And God at any time, and rightfully so, could have used that power to completely and utterly destroy each and every one of us because of Romans 3 and verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And rightfully so, we would be gone. But this omni-God determined to use His omnipotence in a different way. Romans first chapter and verse 4 says there that Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. And this is not the same sort of bringing forth from the dead as Jesus did while He was here upon the earth. In Jairus' daughter, in the widow's son at Nain, and in Lazarus, it's not the same because those that He rose at that time would die again. But when He came forth from the grave... That omnipotence, that power that brought him forth would never allow him to die again. And because of that, at least two things took place. Number one, he ratified that there was truth on earth because he was brought forth from the grave. And without that, this book that we have, this God that we talk about, He would not be God. This book that we have that is the Word of God would not be the Word of God. It would just be a collection of stories and fables and traditions. But Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God with power because He came forth from the dead. That power was seen in that resurrection and it ratified the very meaning of our existence. Why are you here? It's answered through the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that you can have life. 
But not only that, we see the answer given also in that same book, Romans the first chapter, now in verse 16. When Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God and the salvation to all that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed, as it is written from faith to faith, because the just shall live by faith. We see the power then that was shown forth. God could have used that for our destruction. As we said, rightfully so. But this omni-God that we deal with, with this limitless power that He has, used it for our salvation. Just as He did His omnipresence, His omniscience, His all-knowing, His all-being everywhere, that omnipotence was used for our salvation. What a great loving God we have. And that is the reason then that James says, in James the first chapter and verse 17, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is neither any variableness nor shadow of turning. Because His intent toward us is good. Yes, He's the omni-God that can destroy. He is the omni-God that is just. But He is the omni-God of love for each and every one of us. And rightfully so. Because John says in his first epistle, God is love. And it's more than just an attribute it is His very nature. I, I want to ask you to think about this from an individual standpoint. That you no longer refuse His omni-love if you're not a child of God. And the reason being is, is that God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6, chapter verse 7, we understand that. And that... At some point in our existence, we are going to face this omni-God. And we're going to be in His presence. And He has the right, because He is God, to deal with us in His presence as one that is a defier of the truth, one that is a rejecter and, re and rebellious against the truth and against His will, and He can deal with us that way if we've not become a child of God or in His presence. Because we have walked in His light while we're here upon this earth, realizing His presence with us through the Word, He will deal with us then in His presence of enter into my rest, thou good and faithful servant. Let me ask you, which God do you want to deal with concerning His omnipresence? In connection with destruction or in connection with salvation? At some point in our existence, we're going to stand before the omniscient God. And we can stand before Him there with excuse and reason as to why we did not become a child of God and serve Him. And we can go back and present our lives and try to make it sound just as possibly good as we can. We, of course, know that this is just an, an allegory in the way that I'm speaking here. But it's to get the point across. 
But you're talking to the omni-God that is omniscient, that knows all. So that every word would be brought into our account, every action, everything that we've ever done while we've been here upon this earth. Whether it be rejection of God's will or acceptance of it. Which God will you stand before? In His omniscience, will we stand before the God that says, I know what you've done. And because it's been against me, I reject you. Will it be that God? Or by the omniscience, because the Lord knows His own. And He says, enter into my rest, thou good and faithful servant. Will you in your existence at some point in time face the omnipotence God? The omnipotent God that has the power of life and has the power of death that can cast into the hell of fire for eternity those that have rejected them all their lifetime because they have lived with, in a way that says, I don't want to be with the all-powerful God and refuse this word that He's given forth, this word of salvation, or will it be the all-powerful God that is to save us to the uttermost? Far beyond what we can comprehend. Far beyond our hopes and aspirations of what heaven even is while we're in this flesh. Will you stand before the God of omnipotence Concerning destruction or salvation. Let me just make it clear. You will stand before the omni-God of presence, omniscience, and omnipotence. And it will either be for salvation or for destruction. But let me give you the attitude of this omni-God in connection with you. John 3 and verse 16, and I'm not ashamed... To quote this, we sometimes relegate certain passages to children. It belongs to all of us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's the God that you're dealing with. He wants to save. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There is no if about standing before the omni-God. It will happen. It, it, it will happen. We read from Isaiah the 45th chapter, which is also really repeated when you look again over in Romans the 14th chapter, verse 11 and 12. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, therefore we shall all give an account of ourselves before God. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. How do you want to receive His attributes? How do you want to be received by the Omni God? There are those that we can help in any way. We ask you to come as we stand the same. Heart the gentle voice of Jesus. Jesus.